1: to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe, and it's a delight to have you join me today. Whether you're listening for the first time or you're a loyal listener, I'm truly grateful and appreciate you allowing me into your life today. Hey, today's conversation is another in this new series exploring the topic of employee experience or what some people call employee engagement. For me, and hopefully you, it's a topic of interest because as i see it the pursuit of higher purpose in and through business and work will impact the employee experience for good i'm on the lookout for people who make the connection between purpose and employee experience or engagement and i want to explore those conversations and with you so a few weeks ago i met santiago He's a serial entrepreneur who, as you'll hear, kind of stumbled his way into this focus and field of employee engagement. The conversation you're about to hear is not the conversation that we thought we'd have from the beginning. And you may hear us dancing a dance a bit that allowed us to move beyond kind of the surface and explore some really deep topics and experiences in Santiago's journey that gave birth to the insights that he now shares in and through his work and his new book, Agile Engagement. Let's get to that conversation. Hey, I want to welcome Santiago Jaramillo to the Higher Purpose Podcast. He comes from Amplify, and this is going to be an awesome conversation about employee experience and employee engagement and all kinds of related topics. But before we get to any of that, say hello, Santiago. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Oh, absolutely. So I always ask this, what is something you're grateful for in this moment, Santiago? Sure, I think being able to
2: live out my dream of starting and growing a business that helps people unlock their potential, I just, I see that as a gift. I mean, you have to be you know, born in this decade, in, in this moment in history, in this location for me to have the opportunity to get to just live out my dream which is grow a business, a company that makes the world a better place and makes the people that surrounds it hopefully a better version of themselves. And I'm just so lucky that I get to do that, do something I'm passionate about. Awesome.
1: Okay, so without going too much on a rabbit trail, and I've never met a rabbit trail I can resist, so... It wasn't always that way for you, I take it.
2: No, you know, I always, um, when I started my first company called Blue Bridge, I did want to create a great culture and a place where people wanted to work and where they could not only earn a living, but enjoy their work and grow as people and make a difference. And, you know, but somewhere along the line in that business, I think the pressures and concerns of growth, I think, began to distract me from what really, really mattered, which is ultimately not, creating a successful business, but how I treated people and the impact that the spaces that I created had on others. And, you know, we went through a phase where we sold two business units, went to a tremendous amount of change in the business. I was way too optimistic about how much I could take on. I was CEO and VP of marketing and selling two businesses at the same time. Uh, basically, got close to burnout. I'm not sure if you've ever been gotten close to burning out, but it is is—it's oh, yeah. awful. <laughs> and I had leadership failures during that time. I wasn't communicating proactively with the team. I was so burned with the immediate pressures that I didn't take time out to care for people and invest into them. It was just about, you know, do your job. I'm doing four of them. How can you not be doing your one job correctly? <laughs> And it turns out that that spirit is not one that fuels great leadership. And we had measured employee engagements right before all this change happened. And six months later, we saw a 50th percentile decrease in engagement. And before that, though, my team members had had tried to warn me and they said, hey, the morale is kind of down or, hey... There's a bit of an issue, you can kind of feel it in the other, something going off. And I thought it was just change. People don't like change. They'd get over the change and they'd be fine. But this data really woke me up. It showed me, no, the team has some real blockers in front of them doing their best work and putting their heart and mind into what they're doing. Their concerns are real and valid. And the way I've been leading is not going to work and is not going to... I'm not the leader that they deserve. I'm not being that today. And so that really woke me up, you know, a few years ago and it renewed my commitments for my primary legacy. is isn't building a profitable, successful business for primary legacy. is how I treat people and how I lead on the way to growing a business of significance.
1: Okay. Now here's what I love, how a bunny trail just opens up so many avenues for the meaningful conversation that we both want to have and that you listening want to engage in. So there's so many things you said that let me pick a couple of them and come back into the kind of the big idea that we're after through these side avenues. One of those data came your way that showed employee engagement had dropped off 50 percent. Did you believe that initially or what was the story in your head about the data you were seeing? Sure. Yeah,
2: I had to first believe that the data was valid. So I had to believe that we asked questions that industrial organizational psychologists believe accurately measure this psychological condition called employee engagement, and that we had collected this data in a statistically significant and statistically correct way of gathering and analyzing the data. So the data wasn't lying. We were measuring the right thing. The questions measure that thing accurately, and we analyze the data. The data was analyzed in a credible way that I believe that the data was accurate. So I, I really couldn't sort of poke a hole in it and not be responsible and accountable for this. It was real. From the beginning, I believed the data.
1: So what's the narrative going on in your mind, if you remember, about the data? So you can't debunk the data because of the way you've approached it and the kinds of businesses you've been in, where other leaders would probably debunk the data and just go, all oh, the data's wrong. That So you couldn't debunk the data. So I'm guessing there was a narrative, a counter narrative that came up to explain the data.
2: Yeah, it was an emotional moment looking at data that basically grades your leadership in a way. It's very personal. Yeah. And for those of us that probably put a little bit too much weight on our self-worth and value based on how good we are at our jobs, (laughs) it can even be more devastating to see the data and find out that you're maybe not as good of a leader as you thought it might be. So it was waves of emotion. At first, it was empathy. I realized that the spaces I had been creating had caused people to not be fully engaged for half their waking life at work We spent a lot of time at work, and work matters for our life. And I was ultimately responsible for creating a space that wasn't letting people achieve their potential and become better selves. So I had empathy because I realized the impact of my actions, if you will, or lack of uh, lack of action or or leadership. I felt ashamed and
1: embarrassed that because you really knew better. Yeah, I knew better. (laughs) Exactly, I knew better. But something's going on in the environment that gets you distracted. That's and right. All of a sudden, yeah, plates are spinning and you got to keep the plates spinning. And just one of those plates is the employee engagement plate, perhaps. But there are these other plates. Am yes. I telling the story? I mean, it looks like. That's it.
2: right. That's right. And I think one one mistake I did was a compartmentalizing, which is there's an employee engagement plate when, in fact, it's really like much more foundational. It's a worldview. It's a part of every plate. It's embedded inside of each plate itself. It's the main thing. It's not just this one area that I ignored. By ignoring this one little area called people and employee engagement, I ignored the whole thing.
1: Hmm. So I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But then what happened in your story? And what was the turnaround moment for you? Or, you know, was it a series of moments? Or, you know, when did Santiago go... "Mm." (laughs) I can't look in the mirror. I don't recognize the guy I see in the mirror anymore. When I do recognize him, I don't like him. So something's got to change. Talk about that moment. Sure. And thanks for being vulnerable here because this is not what we had planned to talk about. (laughs) Sure. No, that's all right. You know,
2: I think one of the first things is around that same time, a couple of really great people, surprise left, they just quit. And so this was another data point for me to realize that, all right, put the data together, a few good people, surprise quitting, you know, there's a real problem. So seeing the data, the first decision was, all right, this is not my, the number one most important thing that I need to do is lead in such a way that it turns this ship around and we rescue and, and save our culture and, and get back to thriving. And number two, the data showed the way. Uh, Before, I didn't understand what the root cause, why did employee engagement go down? And the data showed me, you know, our purpose driver was low of engagement. And it turns out that we had a really clear sense of purpose and mission in the old company, and we just sold it and started a new one. And folks didn't know what the purpose and the reason for the existence of the new thing was. And so we hired all these mission purpose first people that came to Bluebridge to make a difference. And we move their cheese and took that flag off the mountaintop and said, that's not the right flag anymore, but we didn't give them a new mountain to climb Mm. in a new direction to go pursue. And so for me, it was a, this is the most important thing to do and B I've got to start with a sense of purpose. So at, at our next company meeting, I vulnerably shared my experience doing this data. Hey, this is embarrassing. And I felt ashamed, shame and I've let you all down. And I'm committed more than ever to fix this and improve this. And the very first is we've got to get aligned around our why and why we exist. And facilitated an all company is about 50 people at the time whiteboard session at our company meeting about how do you get meaning from what we do? What do you think our why is for this new business? And hearing that input from everybody, a couple of weeks later, we just crafted an authentic purpose statement that was true of where we were headed, that we all had a hand on and participated in. And we rallied together. And 90 days later, our purpose driver was up significantly. Not all the way to where it had been, but you know, it took about two to three quarters for us to get back to where we have
1: been. Okay. And then, you know, I'm mindful of our time, so we can't go into all of the details of that story, but that story led to where you are today and the work you do today. Give us the Cliff Notes version of that journey. Sure. You know, what I
2: realized in growing my first business is that I love data and data helped me prioritize, which prioritizing is just strategy. And so I use data to say no to lots of good things to pursue just a couple of great things and say yes to them. And I realized I had I paired data and gut in every other business function. I had customer NPS daily. We measured cash weekly. And I looked at what's the data that we're getting with employee engagement and culture. And I realized that we're just doing it once a year. <laughs> Nowhere else in my business is it okay to get data once. We don't measure cash once a year. And we're like, look, balance looks pretty good. Let's check again in 12 months. Like, no, we would never do that. Yet we take that same kind of lays faire fair attitude on engagement data. And so for me... If I had had better data during that six-month window, I would have caught my mistakes early. Less people would have been miserable for less long. We could have avoided losing a few good people because I would have understood what was really going on with the team. And so, basically, I created a company called Amplify all around. How do I equip business leaders with data to make better decisions of how they can create better and more engaging work environments? I became so passionate about that that we actually pivoted the whole company,
1: and that's what the company became. Okay, because this is the Higher Purpose Podcast, talk about the purpose of Amplify. Sure. The purpose of Amplify is to help all
2: people unlock their full potential at work. That happens inside of Amplify. How do we create an environment at Amplify that helps people become a better version of themselves. And how do we help through our customers, employees, do that? So we're on on a mission to improve the lives of 1 million people, to help 1 million people unlock their potential. And out of the folks that have seen an engagement increase, we're about 5% of the way there. So that's a part of our North Star metric.
1: So when you unlock people's potential at work, Walk me through some of the ripples of that because, I mean, I see a whole set of ripples, Santiago. Just talk through three or four of those ripples because here's what I believe. What happens at work doesn't stay at work, whether it's positive or negative.
2: hundred percent. You know, we spend half of our waking life at work and it very much impacts our life. I believe that it's really difficult for somebody to live a fulfilled and meaningful life if half their waking life is this energy-sucking, life-sucking force in their life. And so if we can create spaces at work that help people become better, I think the impact on family and friends and society ripples out from that. And I think is one of the primary ways that we can influence the world is by creating better, more human work environments. Okay.
1: Now, the impact to business. The business. Businesses that really get this more or less profitable as a business? I mean, are they doing this and all of a sudden they're now changing their status? to? Do they have to become a non entity because you can't do business like this and make a profit?
2: No, not at all. I mean, there's a really interesting example of a manufacturing company and they had a big employee turnover problem. And I mean, they would turn over a hundred percent of their team every single year. The costs of that are incredible. Yeah. The quality control to hiring and recruitment, to increase costs of onboarding and training. And they asked their employees, worked with us at Amplify, and they asked them, well, how could we be better? How can we have a better culture? And uh, their assessment said, well, you need to improve utilization in the production team. Just people need to be challenged and use their full skills and abilities. They found out by talking to their team, starting a dialogue that most of these uh, highly skilled welders in their production team were not getting to weld all day. Their craft, their art, the things they were there for, they were having to move heavy metal sheets every day for most of their day to get them ready for welding. And so the team said, just buy us a forklift and our backs will hurt less and we'll be able to pick up our kids afterwards and we'll get more welding done. And so management decided to spend $60,000 on a forklift and on a leveling table. And what they found out is that employee engagement went up for that team. They went from the lowest engaged team to the second most highly engaged team. And production productivity, the number of parts per day that that production crew was producing, went up by 30%, meaning that crew produced 3.8 million more dollars every year with the same labor costs, 3.8 million more product, 10% profit margin, $380,000 to the bottom line. So you have a $60,000 investment. That turned into less than ninety days later a three hundred eighty thousand dollar net profit increase and those people's lives were changed they got to weld, their backs hurt less and they believed more in leadership because leadership took the time to ask they heard they were listened to, they took an action and I think that's the magic of employee engagement is it's not just like the right human thing to do because it's good for people and we have a responsibility as leaders to steward our people's time well it's also better for business, to have a highly engaged environment. And that's what I loved about the space is it it helps both people and companies.
1: Absolutely. So, I want to echo that. Doing this, if you're listening and you have that doubting question in your mind, doing this, not only is it the right thing to do from a human's first or a human's perspective, but it becomes good for business and a profitable thing to do. That's not a guarantee. And there are a lot of factors there, but it can be both. It's not one at the expense of the other, which also means that if you're running a profitable business and you've got miserable people, you don't have to sacrifice the profit to fix the people issue. Do you agree? I very
2: much agree with one distinction of if done right. If done. It can be very profitable. And I, and I think a lot of leaders, though, have hangovers from doing it the wrong way that have kind of burned them out on this approach. And there's a lot out there about buying ping pong tables and prettier office space and more office snacks, culture committees form, and they're famously responsible for more happy hours. You know what will help is more parties with alcohol or, hey, let's get everybody a branded swag jacket with the logo of the company, or let's have... Starbucks gift cards to pass out when people do the right things. And I think these are all based on a fundamental misunderstanding of what truly motivates people and how you truly improve employee engagement. So lots of leaders try those kind of band-aids that are silly and people talk about and they they see no impact. They don't see people's lives get better and they don't see business improve. And so they get burnt out on this idea of improving culture because it seems to them like a bunch of fluffy crap that we do. (laughs) And so there's a right way to do things. And I think that's not fluffy. And then there's a very fluffy way of doing this that won't have an impact. And I think it's caused a lot of hangovers from people uh, in their culture and leadership
1: journey. I want to get there in just a minute, but before we do, I want to go back to the spinning plates, and you had an observation there that I want you to unpack that some people think there is an employee engagement plate, and that employee engagement is this one silo, if you're in a silo thought, or it's this one activity. How do you define engagement, and how is it bigger than a plate? That's a great question. So, the definition of employee engagement that is both
2: academically accurate, if you ask an industrial organizational psychologist, and that's easy to remember, <laughs> the blend of both is you can think about three word head, heart, and hands. I love what your previous guest, Bob, said around that. And it's an employee's intellectual connection and their emotional connection with their work that causes them to strive after with their hands after the company's goals and mission. So it's somebody who says, my heart and my head are all in what I'm doing. And because of that, I want to pursue what this company is about with my full and best self. And that is an outcome of a great employee experience. So an employee experience is what a person, an employee experiences, and that begins even before they're hired, right? right? It begins in recruitment, it becomes in the expectations set about their role and their pay and the benefits and the environment. It's their first day, their 10th, their 100th, and their 10,000, right? It's this entire journey that an employee, if that's a good employee experience, you get high levels of employee engagement. If that is a bad employee experience, you get poor levels of employee engagement. And so measuring employee engagement helps you prioritize where in the employee experience do we make changes? Because we can make changes in 10,000 places, but how do we prioritize this changes the changes on the employee experience that will create the most value for the least amount of in you know, highest leverage actions that we can take to move the needle the most? And it's in everything that we do, not just one plate. It's connected to everything else. Customer experience, how is that connected to employee engagement? Well, who's delivering the customer experience? Right? I've never seen a great employee exp- a customer experience be delivered by a disengaged person who couldn't care less yep. about their job. It just doesn't happen. I've never seen someone innovate in a company who's head and heart or checked out. You have to care deeply to innovate and come up with new solutions.
1: So Santiago I mean yes 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 to so many things here one I want to make sure I come back cuz I think the quote that we talked about with Bob may have been captured before we hit record so let me explain that in case people are going what was that quotation yeah, please uh, I had had a previous conversation on the podcast with Bob Chapman. Bob Chapman is the CEO of Barry Waymiller, and they have this remarkable approach to leadership. And one of the things that Bob said that they recognized, we've paid people for their hands for years because they're a manufacturing company. They would have given us their head and their hearts for free if we'd only known how to ask. So employee engagement is that full Person showing up, head, heart, and hands, and engaging head, heart, and hands, believing in the mission, and just being fully engaged because they want to, not because anybody's coercing them, but just because they believe in the mission, back to your purpose statement, they buy into the purpose, they buy into the big purpose of the company, they see dotted lines between what they do in their daily role and that company's bigger purpose. Right. And all of that drives this. Yes, I, I, I cannot agree more. OK, so going back to the fallacies, one of the fallacies, I think, is kind of what you said, that there's the magic blue pill. Just give us the employee engagement blue pill. And we know it's the same one that Google took. And it's the one that whatever their competitor is in their market, that's the leader in that. Let's just go do what they did. And obviously, we're going to get the same result. What's wrong with that?
2: Yeah, I think that's similar to you know hearing that your friend took this prescription and it made them feel better. And that maybe if I could get that prescription, I would feel better. And it's like, well, what if you don't have the condition that that person has? It can make you very deathly ill. You should not be just taking prescriptions. They took a prescription for a very diagnosed problem. And I think most companies take action on employee engagement and culture improvements without first understanding what are the root causes and the problems that are there that are deep and true before you buy software. So for example, a lot of times we will go into companies and they'll have just bought this new shiny recognition software and it gives gold stars and badges to employees for doing various things, but they have super inexperienced managers who are great technical contributors that got promoted too quickly into managers. They don't have good managers, but they buy a software system that just gives gold stars to people. Is that going to solve the real problem, which is managers are not well-trained? Or a company doesn't have a good sense of purpose or values, but they buy more snacks for the office or they will let millennials wear jeans on Fridays. And it's like, well... (laughs) That's not your core issue, right? You were just putting Band-Aid on a bleeding wound. It's not going to get any better. It's just going to fester. So I think that's the first thing is we take solutions without first diagnosing what the problems are. The second thing I believe is that we take employee satisfaction or employee happiness and set that as the goal not employee engagement. You might be asking, that seems to be splitting hairs. What's the difference? Isn't it all the same thing? If you talk to an industrial organizational psychologist, they'll tell you that you measure happiness. In fact, well, most psychologists will tell you that they don't know how to measure happiness because what is happiness?
1: (laughs) And happiness for one employee is totally different for the person right next to them doing the same job
2: exactly and it's so life and person dependence and how do you know if work is having an impact on that satisfaction though i think is the more pernicious lie that's been sold to leaders and they've been misled that employee satisfaction is the goal and in fact in the 1980s that was the best psychological condition that you could measure in a person and so that was the best we knew in the 80s but then our awareness of what matters hasn't changed in the last 20 years and i find that lots of folks have bought into the lie that employee satisfaction is what matters employee satisfaction is somebody leaning back consuming the rewards and the benefits of their job, and they're not engaged. They're just leaning back. You can be very satisfied and not all engaged. Maybe think about a situation for you in your life where you're very comfortable, but you're not engaged. So Gallup and Bain & Company came out with a study that said an engaged employee is 44% more productive than a satisfied employee. And so if you just care about the business side, an engaged employee is significantly more productive than a satisfied employee makes sense. Engaged employees leaning in, they are put their full heart in mind. The satisfied employee is leaning back. They're doing the bare minimum to keep consuming the rewards and the benefits right. and the compensation of the job. But it turns out satisfaction is not best for the person either. Think about when you've grown in your life. Has it been when you've been kicking back and you've been comfortable and you're just consuming benefits and I'm rewards? in the comfort zone? Exactly. When you're in your comfort zone? I think the saying is there is no growth in the comfort zone. Exactly. No pain, no gain. Right. And so when we're engaged, we strive after challenges that stretch us, that push us beyond our current capabilities. And we're forced to grow our person and our capabilities and our mental frameworks to succeed with this new challenge. And so it turns out that if you focus on satisfaction, you're not even helping the person the most because people don't grow in a sense of comfort. And all of these things, perks and more money and benefits and gift cards and office snacks, these are all perks that help with employee satisfaction and they do nothing for employee engagement. Okay. So what is the better measure? I would say measuring employee engagement. Okay. It's the outcome of employee experience and it's a way better. In fact, most leaders would say how we measure our culture is turnover. <laughs> we find out at the exit interview what we need to do to improve our culture. And I would say that's incredibly way too late. Those are people, good people that you wanted to keep that are leaving and you're finding out in a very lagging way. If we can get an employee engagement, we can prevent that turnover from even happening six to nine months down the road.
1: So what is the leading indicator rather than the lagging indicator? And how does a company make the shift?
2: Yes, I mean, it's... Finding a partner, whether it's Amplify or somebody else, that's less important, but finding a company that truly measures employee engagement. It's really hard to measure it internally, by the way, because those disengaged folks who don't believe that leadership is going to do anything about it and that they might get fired if they're honest, (laughs) it's really hard to get valid data when you do it inside. So working with a partner who measures the psychological condition called employee engagement, then you have to pair data with coaching around that data and that blend of data plus coaching leaders and managers on what to do from that data is what we found the right steps for somebody transitioning from, yeah, we've been doing a lot of employee satisfaction stuff, and this doesn't really make an impact. We need to go deeper and solve the more root cause, substantive issues of what's keeping people
1: from investing their full heart and mind into their work. So what's the, maybe two approaches here, Santiago. The leadership conversation that you have early on that gives you great hope for a company making significant improvements or the other conversation that you're kind of like, oh, they still don't get it.
2: Yeah, you got it. A lot of times the right conversation is, listen, we care about people. We've done all sorts of things to try to create a better culture. We've already tried some stuff, but it's not really working. We want to be more strategic about it and thus get data so that we know where to focus our efforts better rather than just Gut instinct coming up with employee engagement investments and tools and things that we do. We want to be more strategic about it. And, and that's a perfect signal that they A care about people and B are headed in the right way. The other conversation is you know, so you're telling me that they'll work harder and longer if I buy your tool. <laughs> And, and what it's not is it's not all about leadership catering to every whim of the employee and forgetting the business realities and pressures and results that need to happen and just catering to the comfort of every employee. That's not it. And it's also not about squeezing more productivity, manipulating more productivity out of people and, and just wringing them dry for every drop of, of of mental and physical energy that we can get out of them. It's about finding What are the actions that we can take that makes people's lives better and help the business wins? And it's kind of a Venn diagram. There's stuff that helps people, but that the company can't do. And there's stuff that helps the business, but that isn't good for people. And in that overlap is a zone of actions and things that the company and leadership can do that both sustainably help people and help the business. And that's what we're trying to find out is what's in the middle of those, you know, two
1: pieces of those two circles. Okay. And in my view of the world, that's different in every company. There's not one magic set that's in that zone.
2: You got it, which is why, hey, these 10 tips to improve your culture, it's a big of hogwash. It's kind of like an article saying, like, here are 10 good prescriptions. And you're like, well, what condition do I have for whom? <laughs> right. It's the same idea. You, we first has to have to take an MRI of the culture and of the employee engagement and employee experience. And then pull out a few of the unique problems. And a problem well-defined is problem half solved. If right. you just truly understand the problem, the solution is the easiest part. It's just most businesses don't understand the true root cause problem of what's causing disengagement in their teams.
1: Okay, so Santiago, we are up against a hard stop, running out of time here. Didn't get to go into everything that I would have liked to have gone into, but where we're at in this conversation now, what's something that brings this to a fitting pause? Maybe not a close, maybe we pick this up later, but a fitting close for now or pause for now. You know, just doesn't leave people hanging.
2: Sure. You know, I think it's the remarkable power of participation, breeding ownership. And what I mean by that is... If we can first, leaders and business leaders can take a posture of asking their team, how can we better serve you? How can we create a more engaging culture for you? And listening to what people say and truly hearing them out and taking action on just a couple of things, it can be so much more powerful than leadership and management from the top down, picking an action for employee engagement and assuming, and I'll tell you a story around that. Betty Crocker came out with Ready Food Cake Mix in the 1940s. And this was going to revolutionize cake making. You went from all scratch materials, taking an hour plus to make, to just the mix. You put water in, you mix it together, stick it in the oven, and it's done. And they had really aggressive sales expectation for the Ready Cake Mix. And they launched, sales struggled, significantly were underwhelming. And Betty Crocker did focus groups, and they asked people, why aren't you buying this food cake? And they said, well, it feels like a fraud of a cake. I did so little to make it that I'm embarrassed to put it out in front of my guests because I had such little to do with it. It feels like I just bought a store-bought cake. I can't take credit for it. It feels like a fraud cake. And so, you know what they did? And then Ready Cake Mix became one of their best-selling categories. They made it harder to make.
1: You had to add the egg.
2: You had to add the egg and oil. And just that change helped people feel like that was their cake, take ownership of the cake. And I think that's what happens when leaders ask their team, how could we better serve you? And you listen to their idea and act to their idea. It feels like it's their cake, like it's their company. We want people to act like owners. <laughs> Let's let them participate in driving some of the ideas and the change. And it's incredible what happens when, when, when leadership does
1: that. So this true concept of ours, it's mm-hmm. not just yours. It's not just mine. It's ours, leadership and line is the fertile ground. You got it.
2: And it begins this wonderful conversation between leaders and people. And how do we align the interests of all in both so that we all
1: win and as people and as a company? So, Santiago, I want to thank you for joining me for this conversation. But before we go, for people that want to continue a conversation with you, how do they do that?
2: Sure. So I'm on Twitter, which is this, at Santiago, J-A-R-A. My personal email is Santiago at Amplify.com. And so if you, I'd love to have a conversation if they're you, if thinking about this area or want to engage in a conversation that way. And we have a podcast on iTunes and Android called Gut Plus Science. All right. Thanks
1: for joining. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Santiago. Man, what a pleasure to explore this conversation with you. And you listening, you know, I'm always curious about what you hear in or through a conversation and what lingers in your mind after you listen. Here are three things that lingered for me. You know, I love the purpose that Santiago found for his work and his company, and that's helping people unlock their full potential at work. What a beautiful purpose, and I love how that's now, by extension, become their mission to help one million people do the same. You know what I'm thinking? Some of you can really relate to the twists and turns of the journey that led to this discovery. I know I can't. For most of us and most of the people I've encountered, the journey to purpose is not a straight line, but it's been a zigzag with highs and lows. And it's through the lows where we really have the breakthroughs and see our way forward. Secondly, I love the way Santiago defined and described employee experience and engagement. Experience is the whole journey through which you create or a company creates an environment where people choose to give their head, heart, and hands to the work they do. And engagement is the result of the degree to which people do or do not give their head, hands, and hearts to their work. And you know the statistics are saying most people don't. We want to see that changed. And then the third one is that there is a secret, if you'll let me say that, there is a secret at the heart of employee engagement, but there is no shortcut or gimmick. A lot of people are looking for the shortcut and gimmick. But the secret is this, truly caring for people. So I appreciate that. If you're interested in exploring that topic a wee bit more, Please listen to the conversation I had with Bob Chapman back in episode 88, co author of the book Everybody Matters and CEO of Barry Waymiller. It's a great conversation that goes deep into that, truly caring for your employees. Well, you know, I'm always curious to hear what's rolling through your mind. Drop me an email, Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, post on social, or call me 678 744. Five one one one. And until we connect again, I invite you to live, love, and lead with purpose.
0: Do you have a high-stakes initiative that is stuck, stalled out, or stymied, and you're not sure what to do now and how to forge a path forward? The situation is not as grim as you think it is. We can help. Contact Kevin to explore how a winning conversation may be exactly what you need to break the gridlock, unite your team in purpose, and accelerate traction. Call 678-744-5111 or email Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com.